How many of you have ever been for a walk in the deep woods? Walk in the deep woods? Okay, lots of you. If you haven't, okay, well, this is a good thing to do. What is the number one thing? Anybody under 10 can answer this. What's the quickest way uh, to get lost in the woods? The number one thing that will get you lost quicker than anything else. If you're under 10, somebody tell me, what's, what are we going to do? Yes. He forgot. He forgot. Yes. Get off the path. That's right. You get off the path, you're in serious trouble because you get lost instantly. It's the deep woods and you're wandering and it's dark and it's dangerous and, and there's all kinds of critters out there like chipmunks that could just nibble you to death and, <laughs> and uh, who knows. So staying on the path is, uh, is a critical thing. Well, I don't want you to get lost in the woods today, but I do want you to, in your imagination, take a walk with me through the deep woods. And we're on a path, and the path is called life, which is why you don't want to wander off, because if you're not on the path in life, the, the alternative is you can figure that out for yourself. But, so you want to stay on the path, and um, in your imagination, I want you to walk along with me. And it's a well-worn path, because this is life, and everybody walks this path. So it's, uh, it's nice and smooth, and and uh, well-trodden. And uh, you've been going for a while, so imagine we've been walking through the path, and then suddenly we come to a fork in the path. <laughs> Only, it's not that kind of a fork. You can, it's, it's this kind of a fork, and the path splits off in two different directions. Now, if you haven't got a map, or you're just wandering in the woods, you're just, you have a choice. Okay, do I go this way? Do I go that way? And you have no idea. You don't know whether one leads to a cliff, whether one takes you to Disneyland. You have no idea where it goes. So you flip a coin or you do something. You say, okay, I'm going to go this way. And off you set. But fortunately, in the path that we're walking down in our imagination, there is a signpost. There are two signposts that are directing us as to where the paths go. And you're like, great. Somebody stuck signs in here. I know. So you, you walk up and you finally get there and you're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute, this path is pleasing God and this path is trusting God? What is that? I don't want to have to choose between pleasing God and trusting God. I want to do both with my life as I walk this path. Come on. But you can't walk two paths at once. You have to make a choice. So, well, I'm a Christian. I want to please God. So I am going to go down the pleasing God path. So, all right, that's my decision made. I set off. And uh, away I go. And I haven't gone very far when I see a sign hanging over the top of the, the trail. And it says, um, the trying trail. Here it is. I'm like, trying trail. Oh, I get it. This is the trail on which you try and figure out how to please God. Doesn't matter whether you're old or young, whether you're employed or unemployed. Nothing. It's just you're on the path and you have to try and figure out how to please God. Isn't that great? So away I go, and I round the first bend, and the path opens up, and it's something like a highway, and it's, it's just zillions of people walking down this, this highway in the woods. And I'm like, okay, I chose the right path, because everybody appears to be on this path, so I must have made a good choice. And a little bit further on, uh, I come, it opens up, and there are booths down both sides of the path. And people are milling around, looking at the booths. And there are tables in the booths. And behind the tables are people who are all there specifically for no other reason other than to offer you advice on how to please God. And you're like, whew, 
all right, I'm not on my own. I, I can get advice as to how to do this thing. As I walk the path of life, somebody's going to help me. So you walk up to the first table, and the first table, it's the, the Bible reading table. And there's, and there's Bibles all over the table. There's, there's the big print Bibles for people who are getting older, and, and there's, there's children's Bibles, and there's, there's, there's amplified Bibles, and every Bible you can possibly think of, all the translations. And the people behind the table... Um, you know when you go to conventions and they give you a little bag and they start giving you leaflets and you start stuffing all these leaflets in your bag? Well, they're all there and they're handed. The first person hands me a leaflet. And he says, have I got a plan for you? It's through the Bible in a year plan. And I'm like, oh, reading through the Bible. So you put that, and then somebody else says, well, actually, I've got one of those too. And there's several people because there's different plans for reading through the Bible in a year. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'll. And then what, another person says, well, I have a through the Psalms in a month. This is a really good Bible reading plan. So you stick that in your bag too. And, and then somebody says, well, you have to figure out when you're going to read your Bible. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, I, I'm here to tell you. Here you go. Here's the, here's the, the best time to read the Bible, first thing in the morning, first thing you do when you get up. And then the person next to me says, no, 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 here's my brochure. Last thing at night, that's when you should read your Bible. And then there's another person saying, well, here's one, because you need to know how often you should be doing this, because you just can't pay, you know, you need to know, you have to have a schedule. And then there's somebody else who says, um, this is the position you should be in when you read the Bible. You need to be in this nice, quiet corner, and you need to be sitting or maybe kneeling. And, and so you get all this stuff, and finally you're, you're just overwhelmed, and you step back and you say, well, somebody, please tell me how I can please God by reading the Bible. And they kind of look at you, and they, and they scratch their like, we just did that. And you're like, well, and so you, you're, you're so confused, you just kind of step back, and, and you move on. All right, so you go, you go to the next booth, and, uh, and the sign on the booth says, giving. And this booth is empty. Everybody's just kind of walking by. But, <laughs> but you're like, I want to please God with my giving. And so you, you go up, and you say, okay, can you, um, how, can, how can I please God with my giving? And the first, first person gives you a, bro- a leaflet, and they say, well, have you heard of the tithing principle in the Old Testament? I'm like, well, no, tell me about it. And they say, well, God commanded his people in the Old Testament, 10%. So you just have to do that. And then somebody else gives me another leaf and says, no, 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 no. The New Testament, this is the Old Testament. You know, New Testament, you have to give offerings as well as the tithe. That's not the bad, but you know, that's not enough. You have to do offerings. I'm like, well, how much is that? Well, and is it before or is it after tax? And they can't really tell me. <laughs> and then somebody else says, no, no, what God is really interested in is a cheerful giver, which in conversation turns out to be that you give loads, apparently. So, but eventually... You step back and you say, okay, okay, okay. Somebody, one of you, please tell me, how do I please God with my giving? And they kind of look at you sideways and you're like, we just told you that. But it was all, every, all different advice. And so you, you kind of step back again. And you're like, and you move on. Your bag's getting heavier with stuff, but you're really no better off at this point. And... Uh, And you move on, and the next, the next table is the parenting table. And it's got little signs all over it, and little stacks of books and brochures next to each sign. And the first one says, how to raise kids that make God look good. And you're like, who wouldn't want kids like that? So you take a brochure. And, uh, and there's other ones. There's uh, growing godly children, uh, toddlers for Jesus, college kids for Christ, homeschooling. And there, there's a sign. Um, there's signs all over the table. And it, but... 
none of the people there can tell you whether or not this is the definitive thing you're supposed to be doing. And it's like that at all the tables. You go from, from booth to booth, and there's loads of people all handing you brochures and giving you advice. But, uh, and it's serving others, it's spiritual gifts, intercessory prayer, you know, reaching the unreached, small groups, hospitality, prison visitation, promise keepers, celebrate recovery. It's all, every aspect of church life is there. But no one is giving you a definitive answer on how you know if you're pleasing God. Uh, it's just a bunch of advice. And so eventually it dawns on me that this is a trying trail in more ways than one because it's really getting wearing. You know, it's, 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 just, it's trying on me. Uh, how am I ever going to know if I made the right choice, if I followed the right advice, if I did the right thing, which of these brochures am I supposed to go with? How am I going to know if I've really pleased God? Because maybe I did this, but that one would have pleased God more. And, and after what seems like years, or maybe, maybe it was years, I finally have had enough. And I'm tempted just to sit down by the side of the path, as hundreds of other people apparently are doing, because they have reached the same conclusion as me. The, the trying trail is just exhausting, and it's so discouraging, and it's miserable, and it's frustrating, and it's demoralizing. And uh, I wanted to please God, and I just don't know if I'm doing the right thing. But although I'm tempted to sit down and let somebody else figure it out, and maybe they could tell me when they did, I, just, I remember, you know, wait, at that fork in the path, there was another choice. So rather than sitting, I head back, retrace my steps, back up the trail through the woods, back to that fork, and I stand there in front of the other sign that says, trusting God. And I'm like, well, it sure can't be any worse than the path I've just been down. So why don't I try the trusting trail? So I start off, and right away I notice this trail is, is much narrower than the other trail, and it's a lot less worn. There's grass growing along the path and, and weeds and so on. It just doesn't get as much use. And I come around the corner, and instead of seeing yet another sign, I'm so glad the signs are gone, I see a person, and it's Jesus. Jesus is standing there, and as soon as he sees me, he says, yes, I'm so glad you've chosen this trail. And I'm like, is, is this the right trail? And he says, yes, this is the right trail. This is the right trail. You're on the right trail. How, how, how do I know this is the right trail? He goes, I'm on this trail, he says. And uh, I'm so confused, Jesus. I want to please you, and I want to trust you. Why is this the right trail? He says, all right, okay, I'll explain it to you as we go along. And he, he kind of takes me by the arm, and, and we start off down the trail together. And he says, it's the right trail because this trusting trail is what the Christian life is all about. This is the whole thing. It's all about this. And I'm going to be going with you every step of the way, so you don't have to worry about being on your own. And the trusting child, he says, is really simple. See, I am going to, here's how it works. I'm going to ask you to do things as we go along, and all I want you to do is trust me and say yes. That's it. That, that's the whole thing. That's it. Isn't that what That's all you have to do. We go along, I say things to you, you trust me and say yes. Can you do that? And I'm like, I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a shot. So off we go. And what I'd like to do this morning is invite you in your imagination to walk with me down the trusting trail through the woods, uh, a journey of my own life. And along the way, we... Uh, we're going to be meeting the various characters because some of you may be thinking, 
well, wait a minute. Weren't we going to be looking at Hebrews 11? It says Isaac in the bulletin. Well, we'll get there eventually, but I'm kind of cheating in terms of what Luke asked me to do because we're, we're walking down uh, the Hebrews trail because Hebrews chapter 11 is about the uh, is, is people who have walked that trail before us, the path of life. And it's how they have trusted God and said yes to God as they've gone along. And Jesus says the reason why this is the best trail is because you had to choose way back at that fork in the road. But on this trail, if you trust me, it pleases me. It makes me happy. So you accomplish both things by walking this trail. You walk with me and you can do both. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that, that makes sense. So the frustration I had at once having to choose between one or the other, no, no, this brings them together. So we walk along. And off we go. But how do I know that the Christian life is, is all about faith? Well, he says it's right there in, in Hebrews uh, chapter 11. In, uh, it says, verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So with faith, I please him. Without faith, it's impossible to do that. So this is why we have to walk this trail together. So Jesus says, Paul, do you, do you believe I exist? Yes. Yes, I do, Lord then all I'm asking you to do is trust me because then you will accomplish both of the things that are your heart's desire. And that's why this trail is better. So we keep walking. And after a while, Jesus says to 19-year-old me, who has a girlfriend, has been going out with her for about 18 months, thinks this is the girl he's going to marry. And he says to me, he says, Paul, I want you to stop what you're doing with your girlfriend. And I'm like, stop what? what? He says, I know you're not sleeping with her, but you're heading that way, and I am a holy God, and I want you to live a holy and a pure life. So I want you to stop what you're doing. Will you do that for me? Of course, I'm looking at my shoes, and I'm kind of red, and yeah, yes, Lord, I can do that. And so I do. And my girlfriend doesn't like it, because uh, there's a sudden change in me. And so it's the friction begins, and uh, it doesn't go well with her. She gets upset. And several rocky months later, my whole relationship with her um, completely shatters when she announces to me one night that she is pregnant. And it turns out that almost the whole time we've been going out together, she's been sleeping with another man, and I didn't know about it. But if I had followed the path I was on, I would have thought it was mine, and... I would have married her, and I would have found out eventually, because it's not going to look like me, because he was from another country, but, you know, it was one of those, but I come back to Jesus, and I say, I trusted you, you asked me to do something, and I did it, and, 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 you, and, and you said it would all work out, and he says, no, Paul, no, 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 I didn't say it would all work out, I said, if you trust me, it'll make me happy. But, 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 but I did trust you, and it was, it was terrible. I'm devastated. My life, it's like, you know, uh, it's a disaster. I thought I was going to marry this girl. He said, well, I've protected you from that. But I never said anywhere to anyone that it would all work out. You won't find it in my word. Go read my, go read my word from start to finish. Nowhere do I say, if you trust me, it will all work out. And I'm about to reply but I see somebody coming down the path towards us. And I'm like, who's this? He says, oh, that's Abel. And uh, 
Do you know the story of Abel, Paul? Well, it says in, um, in Hebrews 4, 11.4, 4, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. Jesus said, I asked Cain and Abel to make an offering to me. The offering wasn't important. It was their heart that I was interested in. And I wanted to make an offering from the heart. And uh, Abel listened, and he did what he asked, and he made an offering from the heart. I was pleased with his offering, and it all worked out. No, no, it didn't. It didn't work out for Abel at all. Because Cain did not make an offering from his heart, and he saw his brother, who was, getting, who was pleasing God with his offering, and he just got mad. And it made him so mad. Who knows? Did he pick up a rock? Was it in a spur of the moment? But he murdered his brother because his gift was not accepted. His offering was not accepted. It did not work out for Abel. So, Paul, I want you to trust me even when it doesn't all work out. And when I ask you to do something, it's not up for, for negotiation. You don't get to debate it with me. This is not a democracy. I tell you something, I want you to listen, and I want you to say, I want you to trust me and say yes. Some of you here this morning may be confused because Jesus has been asking you to trust him with something, and it's not working out as you hoped. Maybe Jesus is saying, I want you to trust me with that job. You didn't get that pay raise, and you deserved it. And they said they were going to give it to you, but they didn't. But I'm, I'm your provider. I want you to trust me. With your, with your job. When you get let go after years of faithful service, God, I, I served for 30 years, and they just gave me the ax. How fair is that? Well, it's not fair at all, but I'm your provider. I want you to trust me with your income. When you're being singled out and treated unjustly, when you get injured on the job, when it all doesn't work out, I want you to trust me. Some of you parents, will you trust me even when your kids are not turning out the way you had hoped? But I want my kids to turn out well. Well, of course you do. Everybody wants their kids to turn out well. But your job is not to make wonderful Christian children. Your job is to trust me. And, uh, and then it makes me happy. Because your children will make their own choices along the way. You still have, you know, you have to listen to me and trust me with the things that I ask you to do in your parenting. But you're not responsible for how they turn out. In the end, you have to trust me with that. And that's a tough one for us. You college students, you're going to trust me if you don't get into the college of your choice? Maybe, maybe you don't get into your top three. What if you don't get that scholarship? Maybe you didn't make the team. Are you going to trust me? Even when it's not working out like you'd hoped. What if you don't get the grades that you were planning on? You children... You're going to trust me when you don't get what you want for your birthday? Jesus, I really want a pony. And you get a bike, you know, and you're like, oh. <laughs> Will you trust me when you don't? Will you trust me when your parents don't get back together? Because, and it's, it's killing you. And it's like, I get to see different ones different times of the week. Jesus, why can't you fix this? I want you to trust me, even if it isn't all working out. Because when you trust me, you make me happy. So I keep walking on the trusting trail, and I see someone else coming towards us, and I look to Jesus, and he says, 
That's Enoch. And it says in, in Hebrews, by faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. That was kind of an odd thing to happen. But he could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended, and here it is, as one who pleased God. This is the path of faith, remember, which he pleased God because he did it. And once we've passed Enoch, uh, Jesus says, I gave Enoch a very unpleasant task. I asked him to preach against the sins of the society in which he lived. And if you read the letter to Jude, then you'll find out what that message was. But telling people something they don't want to hear does not win you any popularity contests. They don't want to hear it. That's, you know, that's why um, they don't like you. If, they, uh, if you hear that I uh, am offended by how they're living, they're going to get mad, not at me, but at you. As every prophet I ever appointed found out pretty quick, you pass on the message I ask you to say, they're going to come at you because they don't like what they're hearing. And so Enoch was not a popular guy, but he was commended as one who pleased me because he did what I asked. He listened and he trusted. So Paul, I'm going to ask you to do things at times that are going to make you unpopular, but I want you to trust me. And a little while later, Jesus says to my 23-year-old self, who is now in the USA visiting his fiancée, Carol, for a month, planning on going back to England to attend Bible school. And Jesus says, Paul, I don't want you to go home. What? I want you to marry Carol now, right now. I want you to marry her, and I want you to do your, your theology training here, not back in England. Can you do that for me? Well, there's a lot of hurdles to that, Lord. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? And I say, okay, yes, yes, I will. So Carol and I announce our change of plans to her parents, with whom I am staying, and they kick me out of the house. Because even though they know that you know, we were going to get married, they were not planning on it being anytime soon. And we now have decided we're going to get married in six weeks. That was five, six weeks. And uh, so they kick me out of the house. And uh, of course, this is after her father said, so Paul, how are you going to support my daughter? And I say, well, actually... I'm going to college, and she's going to work and support us. Um, so that contributed to the getting kicked out of the house piece. <laughs> and so Carol and I, I'm staying with a friend uh, of Carol's, and for six weeks, that her parents do everything in their power to stop this wedding from happening. We're we are moving like crazy every day, trying to get plans together for this, for this wedding. And she goes home at night, because I'm staying with a, a friend of hers, some guy is somewhere in Milwaukee. I had no clue where I was at the time. It was... It was all confusing to me. But uh, she goes home, and her parents wait up for her. The light's on as she comes in at 11.30, midnight, 12.30, whenever we get done with the day. And they're sitting there. And one night, they're just as mad as hornets, and they just, they just attack, telling her that she can't do this. It's so unfair to them. And, it just, and the next night, they cry, and they plead, and they tell her she can't do it. And the next night, they just threaten. Uh, and, and night after night, six weeks, this goes on. An hour before the wedding... They say, if you pull out right now, we're right with you. Well, we get married. And uh, we move away, and we start our life together. And Carol does what most kids do. She calls home once a week. And for 25 years, the next 25 years, every phone call, every communication, her mother tells her to leave me and come home. Now, I come back to Jesus on this one. And I'm like, Lord, 
I don't really like being this unpopular with Carol's family. He says, I know, I know. But when you trust me, even if it makes you unpopular, it makes me happy. Every parent faces this when their kids are teenagers. So your 15-year-old son or daughter comes home and says, there's a party at the lake house, and uh, I want to go. Everybody's going to be there. But, of course, the parents won't be there, and uh, it's co-ed, and you know there's going to be alcohol. Somebody is going to bring alcohol and drugs, or maybe both. And so you do the right thing. You, you want to listen to what God says about being a godly parent, and so you say, absolutely not. And then the polls on your parenthood in the household at that point take a serious nosedive as to how you are as a parent. I don't know if you've ever seen the Calvin and Hobbes where he's laying pieces of paper on the floor. He's gone down so low. You know, dad's, dad's negative pulls off the chart. And, and, and words are said. You're the worst parents. You never let me do anything. I hate you. All kinds of nasty words come out. And you appear to be the only parent that is saying no to their child because everybody else is just fine with them going to the lake house with no supervision and co-ed and who knows what else will be there. But uh, you're listening to God and he says, I want you to do the right thing. So you say no. It makes you hideously unpopular. But Jesus is happy. You kids face this at school. You know, I... You've probably all been there one time or another. Some of you younger children, you know, something happens in the classroom. You're nine, you're ten. Something, the teacher leaves for some reason. I don't know, maybe taking somebody to the principal's office, using the bathroom, and says, I'll be right back. Don't leave your desks. Well, what, in the, in the 30 seconds they're gone, something gets broken, somebody gets hurt. Something happens, right? And it's just this big mess. And then but you hear Jesus saying, I want you to tell them. What, what was going on while they were gone. And so you wait till recess, and everybody goes out, and you go up to the teacher's desk, and you say, here's what really went down. Although you're not that cool, so you wouldn't say, you say I, I think this is what happened. And, um, but somebody sees you, and the teacher's very grateful, and you've made Jesus happy because you did the right thing. But somebody saw you, and before you get to the playground, everybody knows you're a snitch. And so for weeks, some of the people you thought were really good friends are not talking to you now. And some of them are just being nasty to you, mean. They're, they're angry towards you. And they're calling you names and they're teasing you. And you're going home in tears. And your mom and dad are like, well, what's going on? Because you're like, Jesus, I, I did the right thing. I, I did what you said. And he said, yes, you did. And it's made you unpopular. But you've also made me happy. So we move on. And we continue down the trail. And I see somebody else coming and uh, it's Noah, says Jesus. And by faith we read, Noah when warned about things not yet seen. In holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. And as we learned last week, sometimes Jesus asks us to do things that don't make a lick of sense. Noah, I want you to build a giant boat hundreds of miles from water. I'll get right on it, God. You know, it, that makes no sense. But he did it. They did this in Kansas recently. This, this just opened up. This is a life-size replica of the ark. This is what you couldn't find for last week to show. And there it is. I mean, this thing is enormous. A ship bigger than the ark was not built until the late 1800s. So for millennia, this was the biggest boat ever produced. And he's building it nowhere near a large body of water. All right? God, this makes no sense. But he listened, and he trusted what God had said, and he said yes. And he did it. Now, Luke did a great job of this last week, so I'm not going to dwell on it. But sometimes Jesus turns to us, turns to me, and says, Will you trust me even if it doesn't make sense? 
Will you do what I ask? Will you step up and serve in that position? Well, Jesus, our life is so busy. Will you step up? Will you trust me? Your schedule will be fine. Will you trust me and step up and serve in that position? Or I want you to move to another country because I've got something I want you to accomplish there. Another country? Or I want you maybe to step down from that responsibility. You've been doing it. You've done a great job. And you've been following me. But now I want you to step back. I want somebody else to lead that. But I love doing that thing. I know. But I've got other things I want you to do. I want you to step down. Stepping down can be harder than stepping up sometimes. I, invite, I want you to invite that couple over to dinner. That couple, right now? Yeah, right now, from the end of the service. I want you to do that. What? We, didn't, we haven't planned for other people. I, this isn't negotiation, remember? This isn't a debate. Will you trust me? And will you invite them over? Or maybe he says, I want you to pray for the person you're with right now. And you're in the middle of a, a really busy restaurant, at peak, at rush. And there's waitresses, and you're like, now, right now? I want you to do it right I want you to pray for this person. Uh, well, that doesn't make any sense, God. It would be much better if we went out to the car where it was peaceful and quiet and, and nobody would see us. And uh, no, no, I want you to do it. I want you to do it here. Don't miss this moment. Will you trust me, even if it doesn't make a lick of sense? So we keep walking down the trail. We leave Noah behind. And you knew we'd get there eventually, Luke. We turn around the corner, and here comes Abraham. I don't know how I know it's Abraham, but it is. It's Abraham. And uh, Hebrews 11.8 says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. And Jesus says to me, Paul, did you, did you catch the key words there? Abraham obeyed me, and he went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Sometimes, I'm going to ask you to do something, and you aren't going to get all the details. But I like details, Jesus. I, I operate on details. I know. But sometimes, you don't need all the details because I want you to trust me. I want you to learn to keep on trusting me even if you don't get all the details. Why do I want you to do that? Because it makes you happy. All right, now you're getting it. Okay, so a short time later, Jesus turns to my 39-year-old self who is living in England and is working in a small village church which has grown 50% in the last four years, which is how long I've been there. And Jesus says, Paul, I want you and Carol to take your three boys and move back to America. And I'm like, okay, well, what? Wait, no, no, there must be some mistake, Jesus. Oh, why would you want me to do that? Things are going so well here. It's, it's just the things are happening. I know, but I want you to go back to America. I just want you to, to trust me and go back. Well, that doesn't make any sense. You know, I know. Well, it's going to make me really unpopular with the elders and with the congregation. Yes, I know. So this is really what you want me to do? Yes, it is. Well, I'm going to need some convincing on this one because this is huge. And so Carol and I, wondering if we're hearing correctly, we booked a babysitter for the kids, and we come on what we call our spy mission to America to find out, are we hearing correctly? Because it's just this is going to be quantum life change. And we arrive in Oconomowoc because um, Carol's kind of spiritual parents are Brian and Mary Stanky, MJ's parents. And so we stop with them. And we say, okay, God, you have two weeks to convince us that we're supposed to be here. And there's all kinds of things that we don't even know about yet that we're going to need. For me to be able to come, I'm going to need a green card. I'm going to, we're going to need proof of, uh, of income. We're going to need a, a, an address, a residence. We're going to need somebody to sign to say that uh, we won't be a financial burden on the country. Um, and all these different things. We don't know about any of that yet because we, we're just trying to say, are we crazy or are we actually hearing God? 
Well, Carol got offered a job on day three. Brian and Mary said, you can stay with us as long as you like. Three kids, everything, no problem. Somebody gave us an old car. I mean, it was really old. We called it Rex in the end because it was a bit of a dinosaur. But it was, we got given a car. We met with the superintendent of schools in the area, and he said, well, it doesn't matter where you live, although normally it does. We'll let your kids go to this school, to Greenland. And so all these things, lots of details. Major one missing, what I was supposed to be doing. But he'd done enough, so we flew home. And we announced to our children first, God has told us he wants us to move to America. And then the elders knew, I told them before we went, that this was what was on the, you know, we were looking at. Told the elders, told the church. In six weeks, we had to establish, pack up, ship everything, and move over. And I, I still had no clue what God wanted me to do. But I figured, oh, this isn't, we're stepping out in faith. God's just going to bring it out on a silver platter and say, Paul, this is your new life, you know. <laughs> It's amazing what goes on in your head, isn't it, you know? So we get here, and um, it doesn't quite go that way. Um, but then you go back and read Abraham's story. It doesn't go that way for him either. When God says, okay, stop, look around. This is it. This is the land I'm going to give you. It's full of hostiles, and there's a famine. As he arrives, there's a famine in the land. It's like, this is where you want me to be? But you don't read that when you first, you know, I didn't kind of catch that bit until we got here. So I worked two, and for long periods, most of the time, three part-time jobs once we got here. I worked 14 to 16 hours a day for three and a half years. And they were the blackest years of my life, the, the dark night of the soul that people write about. And I would drive, in, drive home all hours of the day and night in my old car, Rex, and I'm like, God, what, what is going on? Why am I here? This, this is just ridiculous. We left what was a thrive, and, 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 and silence. Nothing. And, uh, but I had to learn to trust the God who had called us. And it took three and a half years before a door opened to do something other than part-time work. It was, as, was it in ministry? It was as an offset machinist in a machine shop in Heartland. And at that point, I had knocked on God's door so long, three and a half years, waiting for some ministry opportunity. I said, when I started this job, the guy was a Christian around the company. I said, Pat, I'm done knocking on God's door. If he wants me back in ministry, he's going to ha have to knock on mine. I don't really have much of a heart for working CNC machines in a machine shop, but that's what, you know, it's full-time, it's got benefits, finally. And so, and six months later, I got a call, and I've been at St. John's Northwestern Military Academy as a chaplain ever since. But that was the journey. I did not get all the details. And sometimes... God's going to ask us to trust him when we don't have them. And then lastly, there's something else Jesus says I want you to learn from Abraham. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, yeah, she was 90, that's seriously past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful. She trusted the one who said she was going to be able to have a child who had made the promise. God had made a promise and she trusted it. And so from this one man, and he is good as dead, Abraham's like, hey, all right, he's 99. Yeah, okay, he's really pushing it. She's 90, he's 99. This is just impossible. But sometimes God asks us to do things that are just outright impossible. And if he doesn't do them, it's never going to happen. Because this old couple, this doddery old couple, good as dead, they aren't going to produce kids on their own. But God, who made the promise, is trustworthy. And he did 
what he said, and Isaac was born. You know what Isaac means? Somebody tell me what Isaac means, the word, the name. Anybody don't know? Laughter. Isaac means laughter. And you know, if you know the story, it's because they laughed. God says, you're going to have kids. Ha! Right! In my old age, I'm going to have a kid. You know? But it, and Sarah struggled a bit at first. She didn't really laugh with much faith. But Abraham laughed. But his was a laugh of faith. It's like, okay, wow, God's going to do something amazing. Because I sure can't do anything about this. So they called their son laughter. I thought that was wonderful. Sometimes we're going to ask to be do things that seem completely impossible. And that's as far as we're going down the trusting trail this morning. Uh, we'll be continuing looking at different characters that were down the trail in the weeks ahead. And there's a lot of them. But in some respects, every one of them has done the same thing. Every one of them has said yes to trusting God. And as they've done that, they've made him happy. Sometimes, you know, the details piece, I kind of skipped over that. But I got a couple of minutes. I kind of skipped over it. But Abraham would never see, he died without ever seeing the promise fulfilled. Sometimes the details aren't for you. They're not for me. They're, they're for our kids, our grandchildren. Maybe us coming back to the States and having three and a half miserable years was so that our children could be here because God had work that he wanted them to do. And if we weren't here, they wouldn't be here to do it. And so, Paul, you're just going to, you know, it's not about you. It's about them. Abraham, the descendants of Abraham wouldn't see the land being theirs that God had promised for 400 plus years. Then they get the promise fulfilled. So sometimes the details are not ever for us. And they, Abraham died without ever seeing the promise fulfilled. But he trusted the one who said, this is what's going to happen. That's our only job. And Jesus wasn't kidding when he said, it's really that simple. I'm going to tell you things. You trust me. And you say yes. So two questions. First one is, which trail are you on this morning? I spent a long time on the pleasing trail, and you're juggling, and you're like, I don't know. What do we do? Is this the right thing? You know, somebody's offering me advice. There is another option, and it's the one where you walk with Jesus down the trusting trail. It may not all work out. It really may not. Um, it, may not it may make no sense. It, it, you may not like his timing. Um, you may not get all the details. It may seem completely impossible. But we please the heart of God when we trust and walk with him and say yes. Is there something that Jesus wants you to say yes to this morning? Those of you who've been on the trusting trail. Something that perhaps is confusing or frightening. As a family, we are facing something right now that, that is one of those, this is impossible. I have no idea what you're going to do here, God. But this is bigger than us. So we just have to trust you in the midst of it. And we don't know how, how it will work out. But if we trust him, we make him happy. I want to give you 30 seconds of silence so you can just listen to your own heart if there's something that God wants to say. And uh, I pray that we will listen, not try and negotiate. Trust him and say yes. Let's pray together.
or Jesus, the, the principles of walking this path are so simple. And yet the path of life itself is so convoluted and complex. It's not that the way is, is smooth and, and, uh, and clear and we can see off far into the distance. Most of our lives, none of those things are true. And consequently, a day does not go by when you don't ask us to trust you. Every moment, with each new hurdle, with each new unexpected event, you say, will you trust me? And all you ask us to do is say yes. And as we trust you, we find that we're given the strength to get through that day, or the courage, or the tenacity. Or we, we just we get through at the end, and we're just glad we didn't give up. And Lord Jesus, you are always trustworthy. You're always faithful. Your promises are sure. So whatever you are speaking to us about this morning, I pray you would help us to please your heart and respond yes. Because we ask it for your namesake.